What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. You have one, a very compelling story, but two, uh, you know, a topic that a lot of people don't talk about enough. And something that regardless of like, you know, as I was reading through, um, you know, your, your bio, you know, I was thinking, you know, even if people, myself included, like, aren't actively grieving, if you just want to help someone through a hard time, if it, it, regardless of the severity of what they're going through, like, this is probably some valuable stuff to learn. So I, I, I'm really excited. I think this is going to be a valuable episode. This, yeah. This is an area that I have trouble. Like I, I, yeah. It's something I've always known. Like I have a hard time knowing how to help people that are going through a, a hard time. So it's something that for me personally, I think is going to be very, you know, eye opening and will be, make a big difference in my life. So I've been super excited yeah. to talk to you. And to be honest, like my training as a therapist, I've struggled too until I've actually gone through the whole process. <laughs> and now I was like, okay, I understand a little bit better than I did before with all the training. So yeah, it's been valuable. That's really cool, man. And yeah, you know, as I was reading through, um, you know, I was like, dude, I could have used this like three days ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like three days ago, we had like a situation and it was just, it, it was a little bit sensitive. And I was like, oh man, I wish I had more tools to better approach this, to better help the people that I care about. So I'm really, really excited to get into this, man. Um, I think the, the best sort of course of action is I, I want to learn a little bit more about you and your story. Perfect. And uh, then we'll kind of dive into like how you learned to deal with what you learned to deal with. And obviously, you know, uh, as a licensed therapist, like there's there's a lot that you went through, both from an educational perspective and with your partner putting together your, your um, you know, these boxes. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I, I'd love to start just by learning a little bit more about you and what you've been through, man. Yeah, perfect. So I think where I like to start is. Uh, probably about four years ago, I felt like my life was going better than it has ever gone in my life. Uh, I was working at a recovery program as the clinical director. We were building a dream house. My wife lost 100 pounds. My boys are thriving in school and in sports. And, and I felt like my life was just rocking and rolling. And this is, this is the dream that when you get married and have kids, this is the life that you want. And then about a, when I when I had this moment where I said, oh, my gosh, my life is so good right now. About a month later, my wife comes to me and says, hey, Jay, can you feel this lump in my stomach? And I went over and I felt this lump in her stomach. And uh, we said, what, what is this? She's like, I don't know. Let's not freak out. Let's give it a week and uh, we'll see what's going on. So a week later came back and felt that lump in her stomach. And that's where we noticed it, grow, it had grown. And that's where some, some concerns and fears started to creep into our life. So we went to the doctor and uh, our doctor did some, some work. And then the doctor says, I don't know what it is. I need to refer you to a couple more places to get some scans and blood work. And we felt like um, our life is going good, but we felt like it was on hold. So we began to go to these doctor appointments and blood work and they'd come back and we couldn't get any kind of um, answers to what was going on. So we felt like our life was on hold. 
And then through a series of doctor's appointments, we found ourselves in front of a, an oncologist surgeon that says, I'm not going to jump to conclusions, but I want to do exploratory surgery and figure out what's going on that's causing this large mass. So we found ourselves at the hospital doing exploratory surgery and uh, the doctor began to do the surgery and she was gonna do a partial hysterectomy with my wife. And that's where she found concerns. There was, there was some concerns that she found and she closed up surgery cause she didn't wanna rock the boat. And then shortly after that, she came into this waiting room and that's where, that's where my life began to change, Josh and Travis. Um, the doctor came in and my in-laws were there, my sister was there and my, her, my, my wife's best friend there. And she looks at us, she goes, I'm so sorry. Your wife has stage four colon cancer. And, and, and when, you get, when you get news like that, that just is dropped on you, man, it is, you, you don't know where to go. I had so many thoughts like, what about my boys? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna pay for this? And my brain just went like this as I'm sitting there sobbing about how my life was gonna be altered forever because of what's going on. And up until this point, guys, there's no family history of cancer. There's no warning signs. She's 38, she's supposed to live a good life. And she's supposed to, this is supposed to happen to people that have lived a long time, not a young family with two boys trying to be the best we can be. So that that's kind of the news that rocked our world. And then I remember the doctor coming into my wife's room and uh, she, she shared the news. And again, my, my mind was just racing about like, what am I going to do? How long does she have? How do we treat this? And she, the doctor left and I ran down the hallway. I said, doctor, what are we going to do? And I just started pepping her with all these questions. And, and the, the, she said something that has been so significant and that then as it is now, she looked at me and said, Jason, you'll get through this, but cancer has a way of enhancing your life. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at her and I said, I don't want my life to be enhanced. I, I was living a good life. I don't want this. And she goes, I'm sorry, Jason, this is what you're going to have to figure out as a family and with your support, how to get through this and how to find what you need to be able to heal and get through this. And that was just a defining moment. And again, I didn't want that news. I didn't want my life to be enhanced. I just want the life I was living before. And, and that was that was this significant moment in my life where I felt like life was going to be changed and altered. The way I looked at life, the way I treated people begin to change at that point. And I just, that was the hardest news that I've ever been given in my life. And uh, today it still crosses my mind about how that thought, how my experience continues to enhance my life. So mm -hmm. it's, it's just rock. It just rocks your world. And, and those that have never had this or even lost someone, you just don't know what to do. It's just a thought and a process that when you don't know, I've never been through it. It's just hard to pick up the pieces and try to be happy and just try to live a, live life. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really does feel like a part of you and a part of your life and like wh what you do and see every day is just gone. So that's like, 
the most, one of the most drastic and abrupt changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So learning, learning how to deal with that. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, at, we're at this point where you already, uh, you were already in therapy, right? Like you were a therapist at this point. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yep. So you probably, I mean, I imagine you probably had some tools in your tool belt to, to deal with some of this, but I, I, I can't even imagine the, the, the pain and the, 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 the struggle that you went through. I mean, I have the tools to help people through this, but it's hard to, help yourself help, when yeah. you're going through this because <laughs> yeah. like the doctor says she has two to three years and you're just like oh no what what do i do like our life is on hold and what what am i teaching my clients to help me in this situation and when you're going through that and you're trying to manage so much where you're the caregiver you're the provider you're taking care of your kids there's not a lot, there's not a lot of time to sit down and go, okay, what do I need? I, I need, I need a team to coach me through this rather than yeah. myself coaching me through this. Cause it was, it's, it's just, it's painful. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we see the same thing, you know, as like, as a coach, I have a coach cause it's hard to do it to myself. Yep. It's hard to self-assess and reflect without being emotional about it, especially in this given situation. I'm curious, the, the the doctor who told you that cancer would enhance your life, how do you feel about that now? I feel amazingly blessed to know that. And um, as we go through my story, there's been some significant things, people and situations in my life that has drastically changed my life. And my life is so much better now because of what I went through and what I've had to learn through the experience of cancer and the death of my wife that has changed me forever. So it, it definitely has enhanced my life and mm -hmm. uh, enhanced the, the way I have relationships, the way I communicate to my kids, the way I live my life is so much different because of what I've been through. Yeah. I can imagine that you're kind of forced to learn. Yeah. Forced yeah. to adapt. Yep. It's yeah. literally like the definition of our podcast title, Struggle to yeah. Strength. For oh, real. A lot of the biggest struggles that you really don't want are probably I would assume you're kind of like fighting the change as it's happening. Like mm -hmm. those those big those big moments are they force change on you no matter, you know, whether you want it or not. And um that's where you build build your strength from so it's like a yeah, yeah it's, it's it's exactly like our our podcast title absolutely mm -hmm. it they 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 gave us two to three years and nine months later we found uh, myself and everybody at her her funeral passing away so it, i didn't have a lot of time to to try to figure out because you're just trying the best you can you're just trying to show up day after day i mean there's times where I go work and then I take care of my wife, tuck her in, make sure she's comfortable, make sure the boys are fed and taken care of. And then you're just exhausted at the end of the day. So nine months went by and we were at our funeral. And, and, and the hard part about this, guys, is everybody rallies around funerals and you get so much support. But what I've found is after the funerals is where it becomes so hard and difficult because everybody leaves and everybody just kind of goes back to their life and you're set like helpless and just, and there's nobody around and you're just going through some of the hardest things. And it's hard to get out of bed, hard to say, I have to go to work. And those, and if I could coach any of your listeners is when you have someone that has gone through a funeral, make sure you check in 
after more than you have before, because that is, that'll help your relationship. And that'll be help the person grieve through that process easier because they'll do it together. I think that's a really good point. And, and you're right. It's like, I think for a lot of people, the funeral is like closure in a oh, lot yeah. of ways. And but you're, it's not it's just for the you. beginning. Yeah. It's just the beginning yeah. of the grieving process. So I, I, yeah, I think that's important for people to take note of is like, that's, that's the beginning for you, even if it's closure for them. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. You call that, uh, I'd seen you refer to that as the support vacuum, which is like something, you know, terrible <laughs> happens and yeah, maybe people rally around this like one day event or a weekend event, but then there's kind of a vacuum of support after that because people, they just don't know what to do. Or say. Yeah. Travis. What What do you, what do you yeah. think it is? Do you think it's that they just don't know or it's almost like overwhelming for them? Like they, mm -hmm. like they're kind of like a, like afraid or overwhelmed or yeah. Is it like they don't know what to do or they're kind of like put off by it? Like, why do you think that is? So I end I, up doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think about like when you get married or when you have a baby, so many people give you some advice, but like when you have someone pass, you don't know, no one tells you or coaches you through. And then people are so nervous about what to say that they're going to rock the boat and they're going to create extra emotions and make it worse. So they just end up doing nothing. And sometimes that is the worst thing you can do is just not do anything. So mm -hmm. people don't know and people are nervous and scared to, tiptoe around the issue rather than just go sit with the person and just talk with them. That's what, that's what you would need is just sit down next to them or take them to lunch and say, let's, let's talk. Like, how are you really doing rather than saying, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. need people to be proactive and just link arms and go through it with them. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed that a lot, even, even outside in, in less severe scenarios, you know, like the, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. It's so passive. It's so passive. It's, it's saying that like, I want to help, but like, I don't really want to help that bad. So like, let me know if you need help. And I'd rather be much more direct and, and something that another one of our podcast guests was really adamant about saying was, you know, instead of asking people how they're doing, like asking, how are you feeling? Like really, how are you feeling? Yep. And like, yeah, in a situation like this, sitting down with someone and actually asking them how they're feeling. And when they say, you know, I'm all right. And like, no, 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 dude, how are you feeling? Like actually yep. tell me. And I don't think it's, you know, I think it's okay to, to dig a little bit. Yep. Cause you know, it's gotta get out. Yep. And, and you're just helping them with the process. And I remember a couple of experiences when I'd go to church and I'd show up and, and people didn't know what to say and they would just come up and say, Hey, let me know if you need anything. And, and, and I have, I taught myself to just say the right answer to the people that don't care. And I just, they kind of push them along, but the people that will stay engaged and ask those harder questions, Josh, like, how are you feeling? Like, what are you experiencing right now? And stayed present. Those are the people I knew I could invest and I would open up to because I knew those people were going to stick with me regardless of how hard it was. So I began to pour out my heart and I would cry because those are the people I want in my grieving, not the people that are just checking a box and just saying the right thing in the right moment. I, I, I need people to stick with me. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm very curious to learn more about like more about what you learned being on. Uh, you've been on both sides of this spectrum now, yeah. both sides of the coin. So what what have you learned going through this yourself and, and how can we learn from your experiences to better help people who are grieving? Like, sure. you know, make taking that leap to actually ask the right questions, to stay yeah. engaged, to help in how, however we can. Yeah. And, and let me kind of go into some more details that have taught me a lot is I remember like my wife passed away and then my work calls and says, hey, we need you back to work. And so eight, eight days later, I was like, I got to go back. Maybe if I just start helping people, it will help me. And I, I, I begin to just start grinding it out and just trying to help people to see if I could feel better. And I remember just struggling. Like I just was in just a funk of life where I was going through the hardest thing of my life and I'm supposed to help people go through their harder times of life. So interesting dynamic. And I remember I'd come home and I remember my, my son at the time, he looks at me and he goes, dad, you come home mad every day. And uh, to get, to hear that from your son, it, it was just made me sad that I was in a spot where I, I felt like I had to work. I had to be present for my boys, but I was just angry and sad. And I felt like I grinded it out for nine months. And then finally, I remember going to a, a parking lot and, and I, I pulled out my phone and I sent out a text to people in my family, my neighborhood, in my church group. And I just said, guys, I'm struggling. Um, I, I want to share what's going on and how I'm feeling. And uh, I need some help. And uh, so I sent out this mass text to these people, just kind of this Hail Mary. And I just was hoping that people would show up and rally behind me. And I remember that night I showed up my house and all of a sudden the door just started lining up with people and these people came to my aid and and have you guys ever seen the show intervention <laughs> uh, i yeah. called my own my own intervention where i called everybody in my in, in the room and i was able to pour out my heart about what was going on and i learned something in that moment is people want to help when you're grieving but again going back to travis your comments like people don't know what to do so in this moment with my, and I call this my healing team, I was able to open up and this is hard for like males <laughs> to be able to open up and share emotions. But I began to share how I was feeling, what I was struggling with, and they were able to give me some feedback of what they've noticed in me. And together with my healing team, we talked about ways to help me in this process. And that's the bit, that's one of the biggest things I learned is, you're not going to get through this by yourself and you're not going to wait out grief, but you need to involve people that you, that will care and stick with you. And in this moment, I was able to give them instructions of how to help me and how to support me. And we rallied around and I was able to offload some of the stressors I was feeling and put some responsibility on different people to help me give me the strength or take the edge off so that I could feel better and I could feel happier. And what we did in this moment is we set up a healing team where someone was the point person and we created a code word. And a code word is I would just text one word to this person and they were in charge of sending a text to everybody. When I was struggling or when I was having a difficult moment, I would just send the word help. And these assignments where it'd be my parents would come over and do my laundry 
This neighbor would come over and take the kids for the day. These people would bring me dinner. And whenever I was struggling, all I had to do is say one word and my team rallied around me when I wasn't the strongest um, at the time. And that was so comforting that I was linking my arms with my team and they were helping me grieve and heal through the process. And I wasn't alone. And that was such an, a powerful moment that if you're trying to do this alone, it's so hard to struggle and waiting it out just takes longer rather than opening your heart and let people in of how they can help you. And, and remember really? these people in my support system, they're also grieving so to give them an opportunity to help you helps them grieve as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, they don't know until you have to invite them or let them know what's going on and how they can help you. That's amazing. And it's, I mean, that's what it sounds like is great communication, mm -hmm. phenomenal leadership, teamwork, delegation, and a community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when we, when we experience death in our lives, a lot of people are familiar with, oh, well, you know, we bring them food because of course nobody wants to cook, but nobody thinks of all the other stuff. So you just end yeah. up with a ton of food in your house <laughs> that you're never going to eat because you're not hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so having a, a, a simple line of communication and a lead person around, all right, here's what, here's everybody has their assigned tasks. You're on laundry, you're on food, yep. you're on taking the kids to practice. Like, that's, I, I don't, I've never heard that before. And it's, I'm, I'm blown away that I've never heard of that before because it sounds so simple. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds so simple, but you know what? In those moments when I knew I had that as an option, I knew I could get through hard things. I was yeah. encouraged by that. Like whenever I'm weak, I just send a text and it's like, okay, I, when I'm at my darkest hours, I have a way to get through that. And it was just like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I have a solution when things are hard. And I just, I woke up happier and uh, knew that my team was on my side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, well, I, I'm curious, you know, were you ever hesitant to send that text? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, like, oh, it, <laughs> it's, it's the male in me that just wants to feel like I'm strong and I can do this. But I mean, my boys were seeing right through me when things are hard. So I knew I needed to show up happier and I needed to show up better for my boys and most importantly myself. So mm -hmm. it went back to like, I'm, I want to choose happy over being sad. And I just had mm -hmm. to do that on a regular basis. Like, what do I want? Do I want to be happier longer or do I want to be sad? So it's a daily and a conscious choice I had to make. Mm -hmm. How long, how long for you was like the healing process? That's, that's hard to, 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 to know of when I, cause I feel like I'm healing now. Yeah. But or I, does it I feel maybe like, never end. Yeah. I feel like a thing to, to, and I, I talk to clients, this is when you go through the initial grief, your brain takes a snapshot of that, of that experience, whether it be like my wife in that bed passing away or her in the casket. And my brain just relives that and it creates emotions. And then when I try to talk about it again, the intensity of the emotion is so overwhelming and you start crying or you break down or you, you struggle for a couple days after that. I knew Travis, I knew I was getting better when the intensity of the emotion was decreased when I shared my experience about my wife. Now today I can talk about my wife without 
breaking down or sharing emotions because I have done my work and I talked about this and I share what's going on and it's allowed me to heal through the process rather than let this emotional dam build up and then it just breaks when when you least expect it and then you do something or it takes you out it just you, you just got to talk through this and you got to invite people in your life yeah and i think i mean i think one thing that happens to a lot of people is they don't they're not necessarily proactive around healing and and talking yep. these things through so then mm-hmm. let's say a year two years later they're still like so suppressed and so uh-huh. depressed. And then that makes them go even more inward because it's like, well, what's wrong with me that I'm not feeling better. It's been two years. Yep. Um, but they never, they never talked about it. And maybe that lasts like more than two years, maybe it lasts like a decade. Um, and the, you know, and I think there's like a kind of a shame that goes along with that for some people. Cause it's like the longer it goes, you know, the harder it is to ask for help. It's, you know, it feels like, well, how do I ask for help for something that happened two years ago? There's a lot of people who are kind of victims of different things that fall into that trap, which is like, well, I didn't do anything when it happened because it was traumatic. And then like a year, two years later, like no one wants to hear it. You know, that's, that's the way they think. Um, and so I think, um, that's probably the hardest part is like, there's definitely what kind of what I'm hearing from, from you is like, there's definitely, you know, a lot that we can do as support for the people around us. But the, the person going through that also, um, if they are, if they, like you, like you said, if, if you, if they put together or they, they just ask for help, I think they're going to get it a lot more than they think that they will. Yep. I think a lot yep. of people like, you know, if, if somebody that I was friends with her family reached out to me and was like, Hey, I really need your help. I'd be like, boom, done. Let's go. Let's do it. Whatever you need. But you know, am I necessarily going to even know who needs help? You know, people are so good at hiding these things. Like, am I, you know, I, I have like three jobs and a lot and a social life. Like, am I really going to be, am I really even going to know who's hurting if they don't reach out? I think that's kind of, for me anyways, that's like the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. Get, getting those words out. I need help is so hard. So yeah, that's where, that's where it starts. And what I've seen Travis is those that have had a traumatic uh, event and then they keep it in, it starts to ripple out and affect relationships and different parts, whether you know it or not, you, you respond a different way or you react. And that can be some of that, that experience that you had and you're holding on to. And it affects the way that you show up and the way that you talk to people. And then it just kind of ripples out and people get about 10 years and maybe they're getting a divorce and maybe it could be something that back in the day or processing these emotions, it could have changed kind of your life or your happiness, but people are so willing and protective of holding on their emotions and showing that they are not vulnerable and they're weak because that is seen as a sign of like the, the worst thing for people. So it, it's hard. It's, it's hard all around. It is. I, I think that, uh, you know, myself included, almost everyone has, has tried to, especially men, you know, the way that we're raised have uh, tried to suppress those uh-huh. emotions and just bury it. And that's how we're taught to deal with it, you know, kind of suck yep. it up in a lot of ways. Um, but man, that shit comes back. 
yeah. That shit comes back in the ways that you would never even expect. And so, you know, I think, you know, something that I like to, to uh, talk about and, and, you know, I encourage people to do is, you know, if, if you're worried about what your friends or your family are going to think of you for asking for help, for having those conversations, that's why we have people like you. That's why we have therapists. Like let's find someone who we can have an open, honest conversation with, who's a neutral party who can actually then encourage us and teach us tools to have those conversations with other people so that we feel more comfortable with it. I think that's an absolutely important part. I mean, like, dude, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with shit from a decade ago, you know, like, and, and that's okay. But like you said, the strength isn't in suppressing it. That's just going to make you weaker. The strength is learning how to get through it. Like the struggle is the strength. If you let it, you know, if you like, if you, if you react appropriately, it can either make you great or it can suppress you. Yeah. So you have to take the right action. And that's where, you know, obviously you have great tools and you had a good uh, community and, and resources, yeah. but that's the, the, the most important step is to just talk about it with someone. And it's yeah. not, it's not even just like putting that off onto the therapist as in like, you know, you can go to a therapist and deal with your problems. It's like, go to a therapist so they can help you have your community help you with your problems too. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, because that is like, that really is, I think one, one of the hardest part is not feeling like a burden, like knowing how to ask for help, how to reach out. But if you have like a therapist who can coach you and kind of help you put that plan together, that's just, that's huge. I remember, I remember years ago when I was learning how to be a therapist and there was a lady that was thriving and I said, Hey, what am I doing as a therapist to, to help you? And I was waiting for her to just like praise me. And she looked at me and she says, you've done nothing, Jason. You're just there. You're just there. And you're just listening. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it is. Is It's just allowing you a place to share. Remember the intensity of the emotion goes down the more you talk about it. And then it becomes easier to open up to family and support people. So that's what a, ther- a therapist is just to take the edge off of those emotions and be able to find a, a safe spot to talk about those hard places without judgment. So mm-hmm. if we can look at it that way, we can look at it as this person is helping me and this is pertinent person is a part of my team. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to go about finding a therapist? Cause even that I feel like is kind of something that seems a little intimidating, you know, sometimes like, how do you, what's the process like? Do you just go on Google or like, what's, what should you, what should you look for to find like a good, uh, a good therapist? I always say this, like all therapists aren't good. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, and, and I always say, if you don't like your therapist, I say, try it out for three to four sessions. And if you're not connecting, I say, look for another therapist. This is your life. This is your investment. Don't sit and wait it out. I say, give you three to four sessions. And if it's just not clicking, I say, move on. But don't give up after one. If it's don't, yeah, don't give up. You got to find a spot to be able to heal. So there, I mean, you can go back to your, I recommend here in Utah, we go back to our church groups and they have referrals that they can send out to. There's a a great website called psychology today. Um, And you can jump on there and you can read their specialties and what they're good at. And you can get familiar with them. That's a good starting point for um, for where to find someone. And uh, obviously you can ask around, but again, there's a risk because you're asking 
people maybe that have had a con their connection to their therapist and that's their experience. So you ask and get a couple of them. You can talk to them, interview them to figure out which one initially connects. Some of them you can go in for the first session and you can talk with them to see if there's a connection. But um, mm -hmm. you want you want to try it out and make sure it works. You don't want to just pick a therapist and just try to make sure it works. And, and even when I was going through my grieving, I, I got referred one and uh, I went probably about four or five times. It wasn't working for me. And I just said, you know what, I'm not getting, they are not challenging me and they're not getting to some of my core issues because I was protecting them. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, 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 but I was waiting for someone to say harder and, and just stick with it. And my therapist wasn't doing it. So I had to go find my other therapist that worked well with me. So mm -hmm. a good starting point, Travis, is probably um, psychology today. Okay. And then re reaching out to people in the community, um, people that uh, at the school, they have referrals and people that they've worked with that they trust. That is another starting point to find a therapist. So awesome. Yeah. My, my mother's in therapy and she uses psychology today. Uh, -huh. uh I think as well as better help, I think yeah, is better help is a good one too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, you know, as a, as, as a kid, I had, and I say kid, it wasn't really that long ago. Um, maybe three, four therapists, none of them ever really clicked. This was, you know, from my teens through college, none of them ever really clicked. And I also didn't really know how to do therapy. You know, I was just yeah. a young, angsty kid. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Yep. Certainly didn't want to talk about my feelings. Like I didn't really understand how to do therapy. And now my current therapist, you know, she calls me on my shit. She did. She digs deep. And, you know, you're telling your story about, you know, the, the therapist that you had for your grieving, who just wasn't really like pushing you enough. There was one point, And I think this is kind of a funny story. I was, we were digging deep in a therapy session. I was like, I felt like I was going to cry. Like I felt it coming on and I wanted to, you know, sometimes you just like want to cry. I wanted to. And then it went away and she was like, Oh shit. She's like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. I was going to cry. And then it stopped. She was like, okay, we got to figure that out. <laughs> so we dug a little bit deeper and it's, you know, you, you need to have that relationship with people. So I guess another good question is, um, you know, when, if people have never gone to therapy, what are some things they should know about how to conduct themselves? That's a great question. Yeah. It's like, cause dude, I didn't know for like 20 years. I was just like, Go in. I guess you ask me questions. I yeah. guess. Like, What's the process I, like? I don't. I'm I didn't know. <laughs> it's, I think it's different for everybody. Uh, there's. I think the important part. What I like to do is build a connection with my my clients from the get go, so that they can feel they have someone to trust and they can connect with. And if if a therapist doesn't do that and just jumps in, it's hard to just start opening up about your heart. So my first initial session, I just take time to get to know the person. And I just say, hey, get to know me, ask questions about me, so you know who I'm working with. And I think that is a good starting point because once you start to understand and know about a person, you're more likely to start opening up. So being able to get to know your therapist, ask them questions about them, who they are as a person, not just automatically get into a session and just feel like you can start talking about your deepest, darkest secret. That's, <laughs> that's hard to do with a total stranger. So 
I think that first initial spot is just get to know each other and build that foundation and that relationship of trust. And then once, sometimes it takes a session or three sessions to really feel comfortable. And once you feel comfortable, then you can start to talk about some of those harder things and you feel like there's less judgment and you can begin to respond. So mm-hmm. it's, I think that's a good starting point for anybody that hasn't done therapy is get comfortable with each other because you're going to be talking about hard things and hard things is hard for people that have good relationships. So mm-hmm. start, that's a good starting point and um, find out more about your therapist, have them ask questions about you. And uh, you don't have to jump into that hard stuff right away. It'll come. <laughs> Just trust the process. But you have to trust the therapist and a person you're working with. Yeah, I think, you know, in my the therapist that I'm working with now, you know, we started off and it was a lot like that. It was a little bit slower. And now at this point, you know, we have a session and she's like, when do you want to see me next? And I tell her we we'll book out like two weeks or so, uh, sometimes four. And, you know, that 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 session rolls around and a lot of times I'm like, I don't even know what I want to talk about. And the session starts and it nine times out of 10 turns out to be an incredible session. Yep. You just start talking, you start shooting shit like, like friends um, and opening up some things. Um, Something that I, yep. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think some, I mean, my boys struggled initially. My, one of my boys is internal. The other one is like, yelling and screaming and I got them into therapy to get to talk to someone and take the edge off. And, uh, that was helpful. Um, I felt like not waiting for the opportune moment to get them therapy, but I just said, you know what, they need to talk to someone. So I got them into therapy. Some of them, some of the therapists did, um, uh, like art therapy and Santre, just a a chance to express themselves. So that was a good thing to get through. But I think the, the, the helpful thing for my boys, and I think was very helpful is, um, so after, after that initial intervention is I came up with, I quit my job (laughs) And, and I stepped away from my job because what I was, what I noticed in grieving is you operate on sad memories and grieving memories that aren't sustainable. And that's why I was showing up unhappy. That's why my boys were unhappy. So what we did after I quit my job, we sat down at the kitchen table and we made a bucket list of what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do is recreate the memories and create some happy experiences that we can begin living our life off of. And I think that was another learning point for me is I could sit and think about my wife and how sad it was and the caregiver, it was exhausting, but I needed to reconnect with my family members and my boys and show them that we could be happy and, and, and smile again. So I took the summer off and I began to do our bucket list and knock them out. And it wasn't anything like spend a lot of money. I mean, we're, we go fishing, we went horseback riding. Our neighbor took us on a private plane but what I, what I notice again is the opposite of grieving, the opposite of loss is connection. And I threw it on Facebook to get people to connect with and do these bucket list items together. And what I found is they could ask the harder questions. They could ask my boys how they're doing. And we create a, a kind of our own therapy experience by doing these bucket list things that was super helpful. Again, I wasn't doing this alone. I was connecting with more people 
through this process and, and they're grieving too, but they rallied around us and helped us. One of the things that on there was when we were going through treatment is someone brought over a yellow sunshine basket. And I remember it brought so much happy and joy to my boys and my wife. And I'll never forget my friend that delivered that. But on that bucket list, we made a lemonade stand <laughs> and we wanted to raise a hundred bucks to make these baskets so that we could give back to people that were struggling. And when that lemonade stand was done, we raised 1500 bucks. Wow. wow. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no, what am I going to do? But I, I called up this group close to us and they made 25 of these sunshine baskets. And again, I, reached out on Facebook and I said, do you know anybody struggling or that has cancer that has lost a loved one? We want to deliver these baskets to you. And what was amazing, again, I was connecting to people. I was getting out and, and the more people I ran into, I could talk about my story, talk about how I was doing, and it could reduce the edge of those emotions I was feeling. So we began to just deliver these with me and my boys <laughs> and we the the act of service was forgetting about the pain and i was focusing on someone else was extremely helpful in our healing process my boys could help their kids they could ask my boys how they were doing and it began a way to keep the memory of my wife alive and she wasn't out of my life she i was keeping her in my life by sharing this box and I can share my experience about what I was going through. And that for my boys and later for me became my biggest therapy. I was talking, I was connecting and I was serving. And those were the, such a great experience to help me get through what I was experiencing because I was talking about it on a regular basis and I was connecting and it's brought a lot of joy and what I taught my boys too is we would go to the store and buy yellow things. And I remember my boys, whenever I take them to the grocery store, they would start to look for yellow things and we're like, oh, we need that, we need that. But I taught them how to focus on something that's happy and they began to be happier and they began to share and we began to start living life and be happier again. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is working. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can be happier again after loss. and. It, it meant so much. It meant so much that I had people across the country that were reaching out and said, I want a sunshine bucket. And I was like, how am I going to do this? So we designed a box and we began to fill it up and we began to ship it all over the country. And I was, again, me and my boys were giving back and helping people become happier again. And that's became such a big way of how I'm healing, how I can be happier again, to, to make someone smile after they've gone through a difficult time has just been some of the best healing for the grieving process. And I'm just, I'm, I'm who I am today and I'm happier and my life is enhanced because that I found that this is the way to help people heal and help yourself heal. I have a, I have a question about the the, the healing and becoming happy and like making new memories. But, um, before that, cause you have the, the sunshine, um, boxes, I'm curious, like, what do you put in, what do you put in the sunshine boxes? So initially we were just filling them up with yellow stuff that was done to us. And that we put a blanket, we put like, um, <laughs> candy and just all kinds of yellow stuff that you can find. 
But what I noticed was when we started doing these boxes, we didn't want people to just put a Band-Aid over their healing process. We wanted to create things to help them long term. So as me as a therapist, we begin to go back to the drawing board with my biggest support. And we begin to carve out um, things that will help people be happy. So therapeutic things in these boxes. One of the things in these boxes now is we have going back to nobody knows what to say or do when you go through that. We have a deck of cards that is our support uh, deck. And when someone receives a box, they give it to their healing team. Those cards, well, they're ther therapy questions to text or say to the person to get them to talk about and open up. So it does the work for you is you just follow the deck of cards and you can help someone kind of pull them out through those conversational cards and get them to open up. A another thing that we got in that box is we make, we created, we written specific books to cancer, to loss, to miscarriages, to be able to read them with kids and family members and begin to have that dialogue of questions you need to start talking about. I found that my boys were casualties when the cancer diagnosis was happening. They were bouncing around from house to house. They're seeing mom's hair gone. They're seeing mom sleep all the time and take all this medication. So what we want to do is create some tools so you can have those conversations and you begin the grieving process sooner than later. And you can have this open dialogue and start connecting and talking through this as a family or as a team. So those are just some of the things that we have right now um, to be able to help people in the process. We, we want people to get one of these boxes. We want them to be happier and uh, not just feel good for a moment. We want them to, to, to get better and heal through the process. Yeah. We've, we've talked a lot about like making, we, we talk a lot in this podcast about making 0.1% um, improvements instead uh -huh. of trying to like fix everything all at once. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like this is a really good example of that. Like, you know, someone trying to be proactive about getting better when they just had something really traumatic happen to them might be like, well, that's never going to happen, but it's like, just get this little box and just start doing like a few things in there. And it's like that, that one small little step of like, oh, maybe it made me smile for one day. It's like, okay, well that's a 0.1% improvement. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in, so it's, you know, these, these small like steps forward, um, really are kind of like the snowball that it takes to like make big change in your life. So that's yeah. super important. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was curious, I'm curious because I'm curious about, so it seems like what kind of what you're saying is, you know, the best way to, to heal from this, um, sort of thing is to be a little proactive, you know, ask for help and, um, and, make new happy memories with your, you know, family, for instance, like memories that you can, um, kind of secure to, to, to kind of in a way kind of, you know, move forward with your life, I guess. Um, yeah. what about, how do we work with people or deal with people that like, don't want to do that, that mm -hmm. think that, and maybe the answer is like, those people need to be in, in therapy and talk to a therapist about this. But, um, but I'm, I assume that there's probably, I've definitely, I definitely know people like this. And I, I would assume that this is probably fairly common. Like people that think that making new happy memories, maybe subconsciously is like that you don't deserve that, or they shouldn't do that. Or 
people who are, I guess, resistant to change and resistant to even getting better at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that, those are hard ones yeah. because in order to really make some changes, it's got to come from inside. So, I mean, this is where you're just building a relationship with them and just stay consistent in their life. And it could be just going to lunch with them on a regular basis or going, taking them out. So you can build that connection and you can build that, that support there. You're always going to be with them regardless of what happens. And over time, when the person starts to have some things happen to them, if you are that person that has built the relationship and has put in the work for the relate for the, the relationship, then you become the person that they're going to open up to and talk with. And you can help them kind of have an open dialogue to get them and coach them where they need to go. And maybe that becomes the, the help they need. And maybe they just need someone to sit with them until that window of opportunity opens to have that conversation. And, and I've seen this in, in the widow widowers group that I've been in. There's people that are just in there for five, six, seven, 10 years that are stuck and you feel so bad for them, but you have to be proactive um, eventually, but you need people that will just sit with them until the opportunity comes to get them to talk about. And uh, you can't force people to grieve or to heal. It has to come from inside to make it lasting. Because if you push someone into therapy that's not ready, it's going to be an awful experience. And then they don't want to go back to therapy because you push the issue. So I, I would just say stay consistent in their life, invite them into their, your life and continue to build that relationship so that when they become open to it or the relationship allows you to ask harder questions and you can say, hey, what's how's your healing process going? Um, but you need a relationship to do that and you need to invest in that relationship so that person feels connected to you and can begin opening up later down the road. But it's going to take time. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to go to therapy. It's, it's getting that conversation going and that investment in the relationship that allows you to have those more harder and more difficult conversations. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got to be pretty invested. And the other thing, you know, you were talking about investing in relationships um, and, and this kind of goes along with the concept of the support vacuum is, you know, like we talked about the, the real grieving process for the people affected kind of begins at the funeral. Whereas for some other people, it's that's closure and being there to provide support for those people affected beyond the funeral and beyond when everyone else stops thinking about it, that's when it becomes important, but also at the anniversary of those events, you know, something that I find I struggle. I always struggle every year, same days, same weeks, you know, the anniversaries of, of deaths of my friends and, and my loved ones. Like I, I always struggle at those times. So if man, if somebody remembers to reach out to me just to check in, that means everything to me. Huh. And yeah. Gosh, you, you, you have me think of something. I remember my wife died in June and her birthday was in August. And I was like, Oh no, what am I going to do with this birthday? And I noticed with people in grieving is they embrace for impact. <laughs> They're like holding on, let's just get through this day. And then, <laughs> and then it like takes them out for a couple of days. But 
what I wanted to teach my boys is how to celebrate someone's life. So I turned her birthday into a celebration. So we said, what are mom's favorite things? So she likes circus peanuts, chocolate covered cinnamon bears, chips and salsa, and the movie Goonies. So what we've done <laughs> I love all is those things too. <laughs> we, yeah. we made we made this a celebration where we um, got a bunch of those and we invited people over to enjoy this with us. Remember, again, a connection. And uh, people would come over and we cried. They were able to check in with us. But what I noticed, and this was significant, is the next year after that, my boys came up to me and says, hey, what are we going to do for mom's birthday? Um, are we going to watch Goonies again? Are we going to do chips and salt? I don't really like circus peanuts. Can we not do those? But again, it shifted the way that we looked at her anniversaries and death days. And we, we look forward to them and we can't wait for them to happen because we treat them as a celebrating their life and not embracing for impact and that emotional hard day uh, that that these moments will allow you to get through those grievings rather than forget about them and just hold in those emotions. Make a celebration so that you can have those emotions um, come out and you can connect with more people that 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 you need help with. I really like that. I think um, you know there was a a point in time, and I, this may be a cultural thing. I don't know, but there was yeah. a point in time where I my my, my relationship with death changed. You know, uh -huh. throughout my my teen years and even into my early twenties, I didn't have a great relationship with death. It was taking things from me. It was it was the end of something so special. And then I think it was sugar skulls, and the concept of celebrating death as like as celebrating life. Yeah. And the great things that happened during that life, and it just completely changed my perspective. And now, like, I love sugar skulls. I love what the skull represents. <laughs> I, I love celebrating life and and what people accomplish during it. Um, and I, I I think that you know maybe it's cultural, but the concept of celebrating life is what really helped me shift my perspective and and have a much better relationship with it. That's totally. awesome. And that's awesome yeah. for me personally. You know, um, if if I were to uh, to pass away and people were sitting around depressed about it, I would want to come back and haunt you and be like, "Dude, go like, make a party out of it." <laughs> what the fuck, are you guys doing? You know what I mean? This That's party me. Sucks. That's me personally. I'd be like, "This fucking funeral sucks." You know, like I would want it to be a celebration. I I'm going on the public record saying that I would want it to be a celebration. That's what Same. I want. I would want everyone I agree to, have, with that. to have fun. You know, and so it, even if you if you have a, I, I think if you have a hard time doing that for yourself, you know, maybe just think about the other person. What would they want you to do? Would they want yeah. you to sit around depressed or would they yeah. want you to turn it into something positive and, you know, and be happy on that day? Like, you know, that's a kind of another way to think of it, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I, I want, I want to go out with a bang, dude. Yeah. I want to go out with a bang and I want people to like, I want all my friends to celebrate everything that I did. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, doesn't that sound like a great thought? Like, yeah. it does. Awesome. Yeah. Instead of like, of course they're going to be sad. I'm gone. And like, don't, of course that's like a normal part yeah. of the process. But like, dude, if we hung out and if we spent time together and we did some really cool shit, I want you to be happy about that. And remember <laughs> yeah. that part, not like, you know, act like, you know, sad and sit around all the time, like celebrate that. Yeah. 
And I think that that is a really important note here and like a good way to, to change your perspective on death or on loss or on the grieving process is the person that you lost lived an incredible life and they did incredible things and you spent a lot of incredible time with them. So celebrate that. Enjoy it. I think people also, when I've dealt with people grieving is there's this fear of if we do things or if we do things in our life, we're going to forget about them. And I think this is a way to keep the memory and keep them involved in their life. So, so you, you get to celebrate them every year and that's, that's great. And that keeps the spirit of them in your life. So, mm-hmm. and again, that's why I do my baskets is I, I get to keep my wife in my life. And I feel like over the last couple of years, I've really strengthened my relationship with my wife because I get to talk about her and I get to do things just like her and experience life like her. And that keeps, that keeps my memory alive and she's still alive in my life. And I love it. It's just like such a happy event to, to know that person hasn't, we don't forget about them. They're still in our life. Like if Josh did some cool stuff, like let's, let's every year, let's go do that. And that'd be so awesome to do. Yeah. And, and the simplest thing is, you know, a lot of my friends who have passed, you know, actually I I owe one of my, one of my friends a phone call. Um, So Petty, if you're listening to this, I'm going to call you soon. Um, But the, the best thing that ever happened for me was being able to talk to or call my friends or have them call me and be like, Hey, you remember that time Brian did this, you know, and like, and just funny stories and dumb stuff you did or whatever it was, things that made you laugh. And you're like, Oh God, yeah, we were so stupid, but it was so much fun. And so even if you're far away from your people, if you can call them and relive some of those memories, Mm -hmm. even if you're not recreating those memories, I love that concept, but you know, relive them, talk about them, laugh about stories and and have fun. So if you're unsure of what to say to someone, you know, in that situation, I, I think that a fond memory is always a good route to take. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So we, I mean, there's a lot of tools. We covered a lot in this episode and I think it was really, it was really beneficial for me, especially coming up on, you know, some, some hard times that I have some anniversaries that I have coming up in the next few months. Um, as well as just like hard things that we go through in our life, whether it's death or just hard situations, hard things are hard to go through and they're really hard to go through alone. And I think that we covered a lot of really powerful tools here to help us just get better at those, whether it's communication, delegation, having a community, just reaching out and, and, and talking. So, man, I I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, Jason. This was uh, very, very impactful, very valuable uh, and I know people are probably going to want to learn more about you and definitely more about the the sunshine boxes. So give yourself the plug, man. Where can we find you? Where can we learn about the boxes? Everything. So um, you can find us on givingsunshine.org. You can follow our mission and learn about what we're trying to do. Find us on Instagram at uh, giving sunshine daily, Facebook, giving sunshine daily. And uh, the cool thing is, is earlier this year, <laughs> I, I quit my job again and I'm doing this full time. Nice. And, and here, here in about a week, we're doing a Kickstarter to raise money to get people behind our cause of finding ways to give back in, in, in these boxes. And right now we have a box for cancer, for loss of a loved one. 
a sunshine box for those that are just struggling. But if we can get people behind us, we have plans of doing one for um, first responders, the military, the LGBTQ, the addiction community. We already have plans. We just need people to get behind us and, and we want to just make this like, like a movement to help people be happier. <laughs> so that's the exciting thing. And that's what made me quit, quit my job so that I can give back and I can help more people. And that's just all I want is I want people to feel ha happy and healthy or like I've been. And uh, this is just gives me a platform to see how I can help people and meet awesome people like you guys and, and champion the cause of helping people. That's what we want to do is just helping people through this process. Yeah. And that, send us, yep. uh, send us the GoFundMe link. That'll be in the yes. show notes down below. If you, if anybody wants to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get the link. We'll pop it in the show notes. Um, you know, this is a great cause and, you know, spreading happiness. There's, there's, there's nothing better than that. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm very much behind it, man. So thank you again, Jason. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank um, you. everybody who's listened to this point, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the struggle of strength podcast. We will see y'all next week. Yeah.